morning's scripture reading is Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsels in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Well, good morning again, everybody. And for those tuning in online, uh, welcome to you as well. Thank you for joining us virtually. If this is your first time, my name is Patrick Cherry, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Word Church. And so we're glad that all of you could be here as we go into week two of this series we started last week on the book of Ruth, this small Old Testament book about this Moabite woman. And last week, we discussed a bit about being the outsider, didn't we? Does anybody remember, is there anything that stuck out to you?
from our discussion last week about being the outsider. Here's your quiz. Anybody? Obviously a very memorable sermon. <laughs> I don't know why I do this to myself, but... Well, we discussed, we kind of broke up the chapter 1 into three main sections. Do you remember there were at least three main sections? All right, we're good to go on that. We, we kind of talked about at first there were these unexpected consequences, the weight of choices, that this one choice of Elimelech, who we were introduced to quickly, and then just as quickly as he's introduced, he dies, but this choice to leave his homeland, to go to Moab, we don't know all the reasons, but we know that this one decision changed the course of his entire family. And we discussed how there is weight to every decision we make, even if they seem small, even if we feel that our hands are forced, there's a weight to every decision and it affects not only us, but it affects others. Then we talked about this bitter reality as Naomi realizes that she is a widow in a foreign land and her sons have also died and she's left with these daughters, daughters-in-law that are foreign women from Moab and she is completely decimated by the loss of her husband. She went from probably, we're guessing, being pretty well off to having nothing. And so there's this bitter reality of that. And we discussed how quickly things can change for us in being the outsider. And we discussed the weight, then we discussed about um, the weight of decisions as well. So these, these three aspects are what we kind of discussed in this first chapter And we pick up where we left off with chapter 2 today as we consider what it means to notice the outsider, since we're discussing the outsider. And just keep in mind that this, this book is profound because it teaches us that the outsider just might be the vehicle of our redemption. So before we go any further, let's continue in prayer. So let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for this opportunity we have to gather in your name to worship together, to listen to your word, to pray, to support one another. And Lord, as we look a little deeper into the story of Ruth and we dig deeper into your scriptures, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds to receive your word to us because you still speak to us through scripture today. Lord, silence any voice in us but your own. And we pray for those sitting around us. Lord, we pray that you would open their hearts and open their minds to receive your word. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten. But may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, Amen. So this week, we continue with chapter 2. And so today, I would like to look at the second chapter and consider three of the main characters in chapter 2. So Darren read for us chapter 2. If you had to name the three main characters, there's supporting roles in this, but if you had to name the three main characters, who would those be? All right, Henry, name Boaz. All right, you got one. We got Boaz. Who else? Leah? Ruth. All right, the kids are showing up, the adults. Come on, adults. All right, we'll let adult figure out the third one, okay? Because you guys... You're covered. You got A's. Anybody else? Who would you consider to be the third and final main character in this? Naomi. Naomi? Close. God. Thank you. It was a trick question. That's why I left it to the adults, because the kids would have figured it out. I'm just saying. 
And so in this chapter, Naomi does kind of play more of a uh, supporting role. And the main focus is Ruth Boaz, but it's this unseen character who is a main character. It is God. Yes, Ruth and Boaz are important figures in this, but God is a really important figure in this entire book. And so this week, as we look at chapter 2, we're not going to look at it section by section, but instead, I propose that we look at it through three different perspectives as we consider what it means to notice the outsider. So the perspectives are this. First, noticing God, seeing how God is at work in all of this, noticing our place, and then noticing their place. Because we tend to use this language when we talk about the outsider, we say them. You know, there's, there's some difference between us. And so we're going to notice their place in all of this. And so like we mentioned, one of the most important figures in this book is one that is not mentioned a lot, but it's God, right? Because who is truly orchestrating and moving things in all of this? You can say it. You know the answer now, God. That's right. So God is moving through all of this. So let's discuss about noticing God. In this chapter, we learn a little bit more about Ruth and her character, and we are introduced to a new character, this character Boaz. But before we consider their part, we must consider the true author. At the beginning of chapter 2, in verse 2, we find Ruth announcing to Naomi that she's going to go and seek food. She says, you know, let, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, if you've never studied Ruth, this may seem a little odd to you that Ruth would basically go to somebody's field and steal. Because that's what it seems when you're, when you're reading it. Like, okay, she's just going to go and steal from somebody's field. That doesn't seem like it's a good character. And that's where context helps us better understand what is happening in this story. This is where understanding the traditions and the culture of the time help us. See, as Israelites, they were expected to follow the Levitical code. What does Levitical sound like? Leviticus, right? An Old Testament book. And so the Old Testament book was a book of laws that were expounded upon by Moses. You know, they were given the Ten Commandments, but then that wasn't enough. We have to, we have to line out everything of what it means. And this Levitical code help them understand how they were to live. And in Leviticus, it actually says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. The gleanings being the leftover, what you've dropped. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Isn't this interesting? They were commanded by God to leave space for those in need. Leave the edges of your field. Don't do all the way to the edge. Leave that for somebody who might need it. When, you, when, you're drop, when you're gathering and you're dropping grain or grapes, leave it. And people would know this and they would come to these fields and they would follow after the workers, picking up what they could and some, that was how they supported themselves. But let's be honest. God's work is not just relegated to this age-old law, is it? 
God is a little more active than that. Because let's face it, with this, this law, people could choose to follow it or not. And there were plenty of people who did not. Hence, Ruth adding in her statement that she wants to find favor in the eyes of, of the field owner. She wants to find a place that not only do they follow it, but they, they're good people so she can be relatively safe. Because this was dangerous work, especially for a foreign woman to go out and do. There's no telling what could have happened to her. And so God is active and always in work, at work, so we must also consider his hidden hand. When we look at verse 3, so in verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I love the word choice here. She happened to come across the field. I mean, she just happened to go in, into this field that is owned by a man that is of the same family and clan of her deceased father-in-law and deceased husband. What are the chances? What are the chances that that would happen? Maybe God made it that way. I think you might be on to something, Henry. Maybe God made it that way. Because we, we know better. The, the language choice here is, is it's not being sarcastic of, you know, Ruth just happened to, but she'd orchestrated this whole thing. Ruth had no idea. It's also pretty clear that Boaz had no idea. He didn't even know who she was when he came upon her field. So these two individuals, these two main characters at this part, had nothing to do with it except they were doing what they had to do. He was showing up to work. She was trying to find a way to support herself and her mother-in-law. And so when she happened to come across this field, we know that there is something else going on. There's an almighty hand orchestrating, working things. God's providence is at work. Some hand was guiding her to this particular place. And the same point is made at the start of the next verse when we hear, now behold, Boaz came. See, the timing was perfect. He came to the field, just as Ruth had been there for a little while, gleaning, and they had been observing her. The timing is perfect because it was God's timing. So what does this say to us? What does this say about God? How are we to view these events what do you think? What sticks out to you from noticing how God is orchestrating these events and things? What does that say about God? God's always present and in control. What else? He provides even when we don't notice it. And that leads us to our first truth. Our first truth is this. God makes provision for the outsider. God provides for those who are on the outside. See, the goal of following Christ is that we hopefully become more conformed to God's image, to the image of Jesus, the closer and closer we get to God, right? We want to we be more like Jesus 
than we, as much as possible. But if we hope to do that, we have to begin to care about what God cares about. Or the old adage, break my heart, Lord, for what breaks yours. Do we care about what God cares about? Because in this passage, we find out what breaks the heart of God. This downtrodden, Moabite woman on the outsider fringes of society, God cares about her and he provides. It's no secret that scripture is filled with evidence of God's profound care for the outsider, not just the insider, but the outsider. In Deuteronomy 10, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember that at one point, we were all immigrants to this nation. We were once liberated from the land of Egypt, so to speak. So God cares deeply for the outsider. And thank goodness, if it weren't for God's grace, we would have no hope. How many of people here come from Jewish descent? Maybe, maybe not. I have to trace my tree back, but it's not very clear. I just know that a large part of my family came here because of the Tata famine. And that's how we ended up here. If it weren't for God's grace and love of the outsider, then there would be no faith for us to have here. It would have belonged to a certain group of people. But God said, no, my grace is bigger than that. God provides for the outsider. So it's this blend of divine sovereignty and human responsibility that runs throughout all of this book. And these insignificant details actually become quite significant as we consider Ruth and Boaz. Abraham Cooper, who was, uh, founded the Free University of Amsterdam in 1880, affirmed in his inaugural lecture this. He said, There's not an inch in the whole area of human existence of which Christ, the sovereign of all, does not cry, It is mine. Every facet of human existence, for the insider and the outsider, Jesus says, that is mine, that is my creation, that is my heart, that is my love. So we have noticed God at work in this Ruth passage, but what about noticing our place? Because right here, we're all pretty much the insiders. What does it mean? See, this truth of God's work helps us understand our place as we look further into this book. In chapter 2, we learn that not only is Boaz a kinsman, so a family member of Elimelech, but he is also an honorable man. It's noted in how he even greets his servants as he comes up. Did you note that he says, you know, the Lord be with you? And they all reply, the Lord bless you. Boaz notices Ruth immediately and is quick to inquire about her. It is his response that seems to illustrate for us God's love. So in verse 8, 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Ruth is humbled by his hospitality. He knows, he says, don't go to another field. No, stay. Stay and glean in my field and even offers her water. He didn't have to do that. There's nothing in the law that required that. And then verse 10, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that I should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? She, she understands how great this hospitality is how uncustomary it is. But it's interesting to look at this passage when you look at the Hebrew terms, because how many of you are reading this in Hebrew? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? There's all this nuance in the original language that we sometimes meet, and there's an interesting little nuance here that, the, that you would notice me, and then a foreigner. There's a little bit of a play on words in the Hebrew. It could be trans, translated as, you know, notice me a foreigner, but a rough English equivalent to what's really being said here is that respect or reject. How could you dare respect or reject? Ever felt like a reject? Isn't it profound? Yeah. L7 weenie. Respect or reject. Boaz respects the reject, refusing to see her as such. He looks past her accent. She likely had a very different accent than him. He looks past her differing appearance, past her poor demeanor, and beyond even her perceived value of herself to see a child of God. This is extremely profound and a lesson we must learn ourselves because this is where Boaz is reflecting the love of the Father. And this leads us to our second truth. Noticing the outsider is an extension of God's grace and providing them for them an act of faith. Read that with me. Noticing the outsider is an extension of God's grace and providing for them an act of faith. Do you believe this? Our place in this story is hinged upon God's place in the story. When we look at the outsider, we have to first consider how much has God loved and cared for us. And I'm here to tell you it's deeply. God cares deeply for you. It seems clear that Boaz must have had a firm grasp on this truth of grace of God. And it always seems that people who have needed to rely on God's grace are the ones who are quick to recognize it in others, isn't it? Makes you wonder what's happened in Boaz's life to lead him to this perspective, to being this honorable man. We learn that a true faith is one that leads to action. Faith is more than just talking. Our words and what we say are extremely important. But do they lead us to action? Do they lead us to actually do anything? We see Boaz move to act and caring for this outsider, this 
Moabite woman. He was not obligated by the law to do more than leave the scraps. But he does more than that, doesn't he? We read on and we find that he does so much more than just leave scraps. Boaz sees the real motivation of the law, which was this. The law was regarding the welfare of the poor was intended to reflect the love of God as well as for those in need. That's what it's about. All of these laws to love God. Because when, when Jesus was cornered, when he was cornered and asked, what's the greatest commandment? And you have all these great commandments. What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up every law in that simple statement. That is the spirit, the true intent of the law. Will we reflect that love and recognize our place as insiders compelled to look to the outside? Will we extend grace? Will we live our faith? And so we move from noticing God, noticing our place, to now noticing their place. What is their place? We noted where God stands, where we stand. But what about them? As we discussed last week, we, we talked about how each of us are only one decision away from ruin, right? One poor financial choice could leave you in ruin. One choice could leave you stranded. One choice can be the difference. Sometimes we can take the blame for that choice because, well, you know, I made a stupid decision. Sometimes our hands are forced. Either way, one choice can change everything. Ruth's response to the generosity of Boaz is an important step forward. Having noted her loyalty to Naomi, Boaz cannot fail to have been impressed by her humility toward him. I mean, notice her petition in verse 13. And then what was her posture back in verse 10? She fell flat on her face. She was so grateful. But note that Boaz's generosity doesn't end there. So we move on to verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat behind, beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from your bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. The response of Boaz in verses 14 through 16 underlines the New Testament affirmation that there was always more grace. He didn't have to do that. I mean, look, he's going above and beyond the call of duty. Not only is he letting her pick the scraps, he's letting her come and glean right alongside her workers, those who are being paid by him to reap his grain, and letting her just do it for herself. And he's even asked him to go far and beyond that. You know, when you just toss some out, leave some for her, purposefully leave some for her. There is always more grace And he invites her to join his servant's meal. That was for his workers. He lets her come and sit alongside his workers in this meal. 
And we learn that when it's all said and done, then when she's beaten and separated the grain from the husk, she's yielded an ephah, which is about 20 to 22 liters in latest reckoning. That's a lot of grain. Ruth must have been a buff woman to be able to carry all of that. This powerful gesture illustrates our third and final truth, which is this. No one is outside the bounds of God's grace. No one. Absolutely no one is outside the bounds of God's grace. And I'm here to tell you God's grace abounds. There's always more. There's always more for us. Did Ruth deserve such kindness? Maybe. Maybe not. Did she really do enough of value to earn such a response? I mean, she was a respectable woman. We learn about her character, but in the end, it's not really about that. Boaz didn't really know much about her. Here we really do see the character of God in action. See, our problem is that human definitions of grace are never as pure as God's definition of grace, are they? British commentator and pastor and theologian David Jackman describes it this way. He says, here in Britain, we have certain stately residences which are the gift of the sovereign. These homes are known as grace and favor, the gift of the sovereign. These homes cannot be bought or rented. They can only be received as a gift from the queen. But of course, they are usually given to distinguished people who have rendered considerable service to the state. You may find retired public servants or officers of the armed forces living in them, but you will not find down and outs from the streets of London. Human grace always conveys with it the idea of reward or worthiness, or it is with a view to future business. God's grace is totally disinterested in that sense. It is utterly, utterly undeserved, and the only strings attached are the obedient reception of all that he offers in order to keep the channels of grace open to receive still more. We were once all outsiders due to our sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are saved not by your merit. Anything you can do, will do, whatever do, you were saved by the grace of God. God's grace goes beyond the boundaries that we create and reaches out to us and to everyone who is an outsider. God's grace cannot be stopped by our boundaries, by our preconceived notions, our selfishness, our fear, our disregard. His grace is for the outsider, and it is bountiful. If we can understand the depth of this statement, then it changes everything for us. Will we be changed and therefore seek to change? Ruth teaches us a powerful lesson about noticing the outsider. Noticing the outsider is a call to the followers of Jesus. God is already at work. So will we, as an act of faith, join in what God is already doing? Loving who God already loves, extending bountiful grace to the undeserved, will we respect the rejects 
Will you join with me as we head to the door to notice the outsider? Let us pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for your love that is undeserved. We thank you for calling to the outsider that we once were to bring us into the fold of your family. And we thank you for the call that continues to go out to everyone who is outside of your will who need to experience your love. God, let your grace abound in us as we seek to be your church. We pray all of this in the mighty saving name of your son, Jesus. Amen.